fellow kids, and welcome to episode 43 of Hello, Fellow Kids. This month, we read something that's probably overdue for both of us to have read by now, uh, which is Redwall by Brian Jakes. Is that really how it's pronounced? Yes. Oh, sir, your name is French. Oh, well, it's his name. He gets to say how it's pronounced. Uh, But this this is from, like, 1986, and it's been, like, kind of a mainstay in YA literature, especially YA fantasy ever since. So the fact that neither of us had really read it, uh, it's weird. In per- I think it's weird in particular you haven't read it because you are the exact genre of boy who would like this kind of thing. I was just picturing it. I'm just like, this is, yeah, this lines up with, you know, the little boys I've seen who read this were all just like these like non-toxically male boys who probably didn't have a whole lot of male friends and just, you know, used big words and Liked mice, I guess. Really liked animals. <laughs> it's the kid on the field trip not talking to anybody, but he's like on his hands and knees on the ground looking at ladybugs. Like, that's the kind of boy who would enjoy Redwall. I like ladybugs. I would have started this and not finished it because I did that all the time when I was a kid. So yeah. I'd be like, all right, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Anyway, TV, you know. <laughs> or it'd be t- due at the library and my mom would just take all the books back and I'd be like, oh, I wasn't fit. All right. And then she'd be like, well, you renewed it and get mad at me. And I'm like, I didn't know you were going to the library and you took them. So I don't know how I was going to tell you to renew it. Okay. So, yay, let's turn every episode into my bad childhood. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, uh, neither of us had uh, read this series and it's a pretty, pretty major one. I think kids, uh, do kids still read this? I don't know if they'd have the patience for it. It might be what you'd give a kid who was like, I really like those uh, warrior cat books. And you'd be like, here, have Redwall. It's, I think right now it's, it's kind of like how, you know, how grandparents will like buy their kids Narnia and then the kids are like, thanks, I guess. It's kind of, it's kind of like the parents are now buying these for the kids, except the parents have stayed a little bit more with the times and are so excited about it that I think the kids get more excited about this because it's not quite as far removed. So, like, not a lot of kids are picking up on their own, but they're still... No, no, the parents will steer them to it, definitely. They're not going to... They're not going to get this themselves. Yeah. But but for the child who really likes the warrior cats, I think this would be a solid option to give to them, especially if they want, like, more of a challenge... It's like, oh, they can read a whole warrior cat book in, like, a single day? Give them this. It might take two days, you know? Yeah. And this one, like, like they've in terms of, like, the actual physical book format, it looks a good bit closer to, like, an adult fantasy novel. So it kind of gives the kid the feeling of, like, yeah, I'm reading a big kid book sort of a thing. I'm being mature. Ma- I'm not just... Mature. Mature, I'm not just reading a book that has, like, a stick figure on the front and go, the dumb kid's stupid-ass book of stupid, you know, whatever they call them now. <laughs> well, it's kind of mean. It's like, uh, how about how about we try and lift kids up instead of, like, yes, I suck? And you're like, well, come on. I'm clearly talking about the Wimpy Kids series. <laughs> but there's something else that's similar, like My Dumb Life or something. And then, like, a title of it's, like, Mistakes Were Made or something, and I'm just like... Oh, yeah, that's that, that's Timmy Failure. 
Um, That's it. Why are we selling low self-esteem to children? Okay, I don't think those books. Sold. I don't think those books were originally written for the kids because it's from a. Uh, it's from a pretty well-established newspaper cartoonist who is uh, like. That's very much his style of humor, and I think people, somebody was like, "You draw like you're six years old. Why don't you make a book for children?" And he's like, "I'm not sure that's a good idea, but I guess if you pay me." <laughs> well, anyway, why don't we uh, talk a little bit more about? Re- so, Josh, was it worth the wait of all this time of you not reading this book? Did you feel like finally I'm not missing out anymore, or were you just like that was a thing? If I had read this at the age I was supposed to, I would have loved this. Reading it now was kind of disappointing. It feels like I missed a bus and I'm watching it go away. Like, I'm just standing there like, oh, okay, crap, there there it goes. I should have been on that. Yeah, it's like like the book equivalent of not going to like a summer camp retreat thing and then your friends come back and all they talk about for the rest of the year is the summer camp retreat summer that you didn't retreat. go to. Yep. Yeah. Did we have the same group of crummy friends? Uh yeah. Uh, yeah, like the whole time I was reading this, I'm I was like, I totally see why this really gels with kids that are like, you know, getting really into fantasy and things like that. I can see all of the reasons that people love it, but I think putting it off to read until 28 was probably not the way to read it um well i feel like i don't know i kind of feel like this way we're kind of appreciating it more because we would have read it when we were small probably not picked it up again and we'd be like was it as good as we thought right and it answer is yeah probably or actually even better so you're just like oh okay this is a very well constructed little story at no point are you going like what messaging is happening here like happens sometimes in uh children's books i revisit because wow babysitter's club series what was happening there but, <laughs> <laughs> but this i don't know it's it's solid and it's just i don't know good for nice children <laughs> so books for nice children <laughs> books for nice children this and the Penderwicks, that's when you know you have, like, a child who's going to grow up and be cottagecore. <laughs> that's even still a thing in, like, 20 years. Okay. Uh, well, it oh, will so... be just because of, like, you know, the survivors of the nuclear apocalypse. It'll be forced. You want to see my cottage? It's very core. I don't think that's what that means. And you're getting your ooze on my doilies. Um... Well, uh, yeah, I liked the book, too, um, but it gave me nightmares. It gave you nightmares? Yeah. I wasn't foreseeing that either. I had two nightmares in a row. I d- I'm very afraid of snakes, and there is oh, okay. a very hor- yeah. there's a very horrific snake in this book. But I had two nightmares in a row about there being an adder in my bed, and then I started to fall asleep the third time. And I felt something on my arm, and I woke up. I'd almost fallen asleep. I was mostly asleep. Felt the mo- the thing on my arm, and then sat up screaming. So that's that's what happened. And then I fell asleep, and I was sleeping for a while, and then my phone went off, blaring for with an Amber Alert. Oh yeah, that did happen this morning. So I had a very very rough night slash morning, thanks to that god awful <laughs> god awful snake. 
Hmm. Like, you might have had a few nightmares in a row if it had been, like, a slug that stole the sword. Yeah, that would not be but okay. I, I feel like they could get it back from him, though. <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten far. <laughs> Methuselah could have gone and got it. <laughs> Give that back. It's been missing for, for years. Where is it? Uh, I guess, like, probably 50, 60 yards away now. Oh, right. Okay, so, um... You feel like you missed summer camp and I had nightmares, so that's how we feel about Redwall. Uh, okay. So the novel is broken down into three big sections with obviously chapters within. Uh but we're gonna we're gonna do it a little bit more loosey goosey, kind of similar to the way we did uh the final Fablehaven book. I think that that led to a bit more organic discussion for in some situations. So we're gonna try sticking with that for a little bit longer and see how it pans out with Maybe a book that's not quite as dense, um, and just see what happens. Yeah. So, book one, The Wall. Mm-hmm. We don't need no education. Yeah. We... <laughs> hey, Abbott, leave those mice alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Book one, The Wall. Matthias is an apprentice mouse at Redwall Abbey, a fortified home to small creatures of many types. Mice, moles, badgers, and so on. He's a bit clumsy, but has a good head on his shoulders. He idolizes Martin the Warrior, a founding member of the Abbey, and a symbol of hope to many. Under the leadership of Abbot Mortimer, Redwall heals and helps many of the critters in the surrounding countryside. However, darkness approaches in the form of Clooney the Scourge, a monstrous rat with one eye and a whip-like tail. He and his rat army are tearing through the region and have their sights set on Redwall. At the Abbey, the denizens are celebrating the Abbot's Jubilee, complete with a massive feast. Matthias strikes it up with Cornflower, a young mouse from a nearby farm. When the celebration dies down, Matthias goes with Constance the Badger to take Cornflower and the neighboring church mouse family home for the night. On the way, they pass a crazed horse-drawn wagon carrying hundreds of cruel-looking rats heading in the direction of the Abbey. The church mouse family is dropped off at St. Ninian's, the ruined church where they live, and the Redwall critters return home to warn them of the rats. Redwall is not made of warriors, but they will do what they can to protect their home. Yeah, so in this world, are there people? Okay, so this is actually a fun kind of tidbit. Uh, okay. So in the the first book, in this book, there are references to, like, farmhouses, a village... Um, yeah. larger domesticated creatures. Basically, that was because this was sort of like a... He was still sort of forming this idea and wasn't quite sure. Like, he didn't even necessarily expect this to be published or anything. Um, so all of those references exist in this book. And then from the second book onward, no references are made outside of the animals that would fit with this scale of creature. So there, this is the only book that references any sort of man-made structure or any sort of or creatures that are larger than, like, a badger. So I think we can work off the assumption that if there are people in this world, there is absolutely no overlap between their existence and the existence of all of the animals in the stories. So. Right, because I was kind of confused for a bit. I was like, okay, so where are the actual... They're in an ab. I was just like, well, how big is this abbey? Is it like people sized or is it mouse sized? And if it's mouse sized, 
Where, how are, where's the, where are they getting this furniture they're in? Isn't, shouldn't all the furniture be, be too big? Or wait, are, are these people-sized animals? I was trying. Yeah. I'm like, what is, what is the universe here? I'm I, not wrapping my head around it. And I was so confused when they show up in a cart. I'm like, wait, hold on. So they're, they're steering a horse? How big are these? Yeah, so I I was kind of... The the scale in this book because of that is pretty confusing as well. I don't really have any clear uh, (laughs) decisions that I have made on the matter. I I assumed that everything that the mice and stuff interacted with was probably their size, and that maybe if they're observing something outside of that, that maybe it's more normal-sized. But yeah, they're... There's also not really reference to, like, forms of measurement, so I... No. There's... it. Uh, eh. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's very much just kind of a hand-wavy, don't worry about it. That's not important. I guess, but it, I don't know. I I, I think it is. <laughs> Especially if... The, I, was, I was wondering if there was, like, some edgelord, like, guy who spends too much time on the internet has like a theory for this where it's like, yeah, man, this is post-apocalypse. All the people are gone. So the animals are taken over better. If it's the <laughs> less edgy, annoying boy would be all like, well, I think this takes place um, post uh, bubonic plague outbreak. So there are these empty villages because everyone has died. So Actually. the mice, of course, move in. <laughs> Actually, this is post-apocalyptic, oh, and all of these mice are human-sized, and that's not horrifying. That would be creepy, too, but <laughs> no. They met, well, then how did they fit 200 rats into the back of this hay cart that goes flying through? They're like, there hadn't been 200 in there, and I was just like, wait, I'm so confused. And also, there's like, yeah, you went by, and it's like this big tattooed rat. I'm like, how can you see tattoos on a rat? They're covered in fur. How are you tattooing that? Forget it, Jake. Uh-oh. It's Redwall. It's Jake's Redwall. <laughs> Don't forget it, Jake's. You know, <laughs> Jake's it's Redwall. I don't know. Maybe it gets, like, illuminated later, because how many books are in this series? Like, 25, give or take? That's a lot of mice. When they're, like, catching the fish, and it's like, oh, that's almost two pounds. Good job. And I was just like, What? I'm like, oh, so they must be little mice because they caught a two-pound fish, and that was like a big deal, right? Um, right. Maybe this is like a post um, Black Death breakout because they said two pound instead of it was this many kilograms. <laughs> so they haven't like switched to the metric system yet. They're still using the right fake ba- the fakey based on nothing one. <laughs> um, okay, it's based on something. No one correct me and get upset. Okay. Uh, Clooney is also a Portuguese rat, which does imply the existence of Portugal. I I don't have any, I don't know what to do with that, because I don't know anything about Portugal, besides the fact that it's, like, Spain's appendix. Um, Portugal, or Brazil, he might have come over from there. Well, then, no, that would have to be, that'd have to be in, like, another apocalypse then, because then I don't think Brazil was established until later. Or the people that are, were in Brazil would not be speaking Portuguese. There's a, there's there's a rhyme here for oh it's like they're it's like they're uh, when they're saying grace uh, except I can't I can't make the words claw and door rhyme and maybe that's just an accent thing. Um, oh yeah yeah. It's like claw door oh oh. oh. I don't think that's. You see, claw and door. 
Yeah, um, some English pronunciation, England, England, right. English pronunciation, not American English, are very weird. I remember seeing uh, this whole fight online where the person's like having issue with crisscross applesauce. They're like, it doesn't even rhyme. And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yes, it does. And they're like, well, how are you pronouncing sauce? And they're like, source. And we're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Shut up. Crisscross applesauce. Crisscross applesauce. <laughs> they'd, they'd still say cross, but they said sauce is source. Yeah, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And they make fun of how we pronounce things. Like, okay. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I thought I saw somewhere that, like, a lot of the way that we pronounce stuff is actually how, like, England would have pronounced things hundreds of years ago, and yep. their current accent is, it's like a, dis- a way to distinguish away from ours, or some some sort of, like, some sort of change that then makes theirs the weird one in, in a sort of uh, way. Yeah. That's, that's why Australians sound the way they do. Because it kind of sounds similar, but it just changed over time, and then it's like little time capsules of how people talked. Yeah. Anyway. This is a very English book, too. It's so. super English, yes. <laughs> One character in particular was kind of annoying me with how English they were, but we'll get to that. Was it the formal? Oh, God, don't even get me started on that. Me <laughs> <be> so mad. <laughs> I just skipped over their lines. It's every like time Hagrid, but twice as bad. I just skipped over the line. I was like, I don't care. I'm not trying to try and suss that out. And the only thing even more annoying than that was the sparrows, but... Should I continue? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Cluny, meanwhile, is having nightmares of Martin the Warrior, but he has no idea why. He goes about recruiting more villainous rodents for his army and sends one of his minions to scout out the abbey. Cluny also takes up residence in the church and has taken a vole family prisoner. Cluny himself comes to the abbey to offer them a chance to surrender before he invades, but the abbot harshly declines. Clooney sees a tapestry of Martin the Warrior, and once he returns to camp, he sends his sneakiest minion, Shadow, to steal it away. Shadow dies on his way out of the abbey, but does in fact successfully remove Martin from the tapestry, dealing a blow to the abbey's morale. Um, I thought that the character of Shadow was really interesting and was bummed that he was only alive for like three chapters. You're like, oh, let's keep an eye on this guy. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't get too close to, you know, don't get too attached to any of Clooney's guys, because they just get killed off so fast. Yeah. I was just like, I was just like, who's this? I guess it doesn't matter. And then they get killed, and I go, yeah, it didn't matter. Um, What's important is to know Clooney. So Clooney comes to, you know, like, threaten them and stuff, and uh, the abbot responds with, uh, neither you nor your army will ever set paw or claw inside Redwall, but I'm pretty sure, aren't they inside Redwall when they're talking? Because, like, that's how Clooney would have seen the tapestry. Meant, I think he meant in ownership sense. Okay. You're, yeah, you're being literal again. I was just thinking the other day about how much you and I don't like poetry. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, so why is it? Why don't either of us like poetry? Because if someone like explain, you know, sits there and shows me a poem they like and they explain it, I'm like, wow, that's really great. And I can appreciate it on that level. But like, I feel like neither of us like poetry because you are way too literal and I am too impatient. I'm like, get to the point. What are you talking about? And then I get angry. So <laughs> that's why neither of us like poetry. I so when w- we get to like riddles later, I was like, no, 
I I can really enjoy elements of poetry. Like at, most of the elements that go into like, especially like rap songwriting, like how words like how you you could have like internal rhyme schemes and and uh like double entendres and stuff i find that stuff really interesting it's just a lot of poetry ends up being like really like hyper specific to the writer and so it's like this super deep image to them and i'm just like i don't none of this means anything to me you've just described a very particular event in a really meandering way and i have nothing to connect it to (laughs) I'm sorry no one went to your birthday party, but what does that have to do with me? You didn't even invite me. Did I just write a poem? Yes. Okay, I like that. I'm going to put it on Instagram. I'll just randomly break it up. and Yeah, no capitals. Yeah. It's an e comes and then in this business. Watch out, Rupee Cower. I'm coming for you. I probably said her name wrong. I apologize. If I'm going to be shitty, I should at least say your name right. You know who you are. You know who you are. The person you who will never poet. hear this. <laughs> boo. She's like, yeah, I can't hear you from my top top of my pile of money. But uh, yeah, uh, Shadow, Shadow dead. Shadow dead. Actually, I don't even. How did he die? I'm looking through my notes. I'm trying to find it, and I'm it's like, a, did I just? I mean, I'm looking at the chapter right now. It's towards the end of chapter 14. There's, it's. I think he gets. I think he gets stabbed on the way out because I think he he kills somebody on the way out, but the person who killed him also like injures him, and then Clooney doesn't bother to like help him or anything he just takes the tapestry and leaves and then shadow just croaks outside the the wall yeah he totally just says sucks to suck and then just uses his friend to die while walking off with this tapestry yeah. and um when i was picturing him taking the tapestry and he just like just starts cutting it out i was just like why don't you just take the whole thing you're there <laughs> i <laughs> just <laughs> and also i was so confused i was like and he starts cutting the corner and i was like why? What, what's the focal piece of this stupid tapestry if it's not Martin? Why is he in the right corner? Shouldn't he be like front and center in the middle? Like this is Martin's tapestry. So I was confused by that. Like the friggin' cover of the book. Nails, actually, I think isn't this little Matthias on the front? Can it you is. tell from his two, his two big sandals? Yes, he does have two big sandals. Also, when you were uh, complaining about that right now, I pictured the Grinch uh, like snipping out his Santa costume. <laughs> Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Let's <laughs> so just picture that's how Shadow did it. <laughs> well, that music's playing. Um, no, I think he stabbed somebody. He stabbed somebody on the way out, but they didn't die. Wasn't that Cornflower's dad? Oh yeah, Mister Mister Field Mouse. You're right. He doesn't die. Mister just... Field Mouse. Oh oh, in that part, they come back to warn everybody. Like, guys, Clooney's coming, and, like, no one believes him, because, like, Clooney's kind of just become, like, a boogeyman that you threaten your kids. Like, if you're not going to eat your vegetables, yeah. Clooney's coming at you. And, like, one of the people who worked there were still taking it way too far, and they're just like, do you think Clooney came because we didn't shut the door at dinner time, you know, or whatever? And, like... Methuselah has to come in and go, you're all stupid, and, like, literally says, you're all stupid, shut up. <laughs> it's real. He had to get out his book that goes back six years that tells when Clooney, they're mice, so they don't yeah. long. So I did laugh at that, like, it was a whole six years ago. Oh, people weren't alive then. Did I just not write about this in the... No, I meant like the whole. Oh, here it is. Okay, I got the shadow thing. Um, is Mr. Mr. Field Mouse, which is Cornflower's dad, he tries to stop Shadow on his way out, but he gets stabbed. 
And then Shadow falls off the wall and lands in a trench. And then that's when he, he's just laying there just like, oh, blah, blah. And Clooney's just like, thanks for getting my blanket for me, I guess. And <laughs> takes off. <laughs> and then the other, there was like another rat that came with them. And I don't really get what happened. Like he wandered away and then he's like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> so he just kind of wanders for a bit. His name's like, is it? I was like, is it Rajar or Rag Ear? I don't know. It's Rag Ear because all of their names are compound, kind of like the warrior cats. You yeah. Know, Bramble okay. Pelt and yeah. all that. Okay, yeah, Rag Rag Ear, like Rag Ear, just... Mange Fur, Red Tooth, a Pond Scum, Frog Blood. I was trying to remember a name, but you just kept saying more names. I'm like, stop it, you're messing me up. Just you know. Yeah. Names they clearly just made up for themselves. Because no one looked at their kid and went, that's a rag ear. Well, that's actually, that's actually, um, kind of indirectly recalls something that I did want to mention. And I, I want to bring it up without making it sound like I'm being super pedantic. Uh, so. Oh, why stop now? <laughs> but the, uh, one, one of, one of the things that, uh, this series is, uh, known for not doing as well as maybe it could have is that there is very rarely any sort of distinction between good and bad as far as, like, species goes. Uh, like, basically, if you're a rat, you're always evil. Um, if you're a mouse, you're always good sort of a thing. And so it, it, if that's the case, it almost is like they could be named that way because all rats are going to be evil. Like, if they were born that way, that wouldn't be <laughs> that surprising. So, like, across the span of the books, there aren't a whole lot of, like, surprises in terms of, like, which species is going to do what. Which, you know, again, it's kids' fantasy, and fantasy d- has a lot of those sort of... Shorthand? Fic- yeah, and fictional race-based tropes, like, you know, orcs, bad, elves, uh... I was going to say good, but it's more like snobby. Um, you know, so <laughs> like that... need, to, need to get over themselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, so there, there is that. Um, but yeah, the shorthand's actually probably my biggest issue with the book is that most of the characters in the book really are just archetypes. Um, there isn't a whole lot where I felt like they were a unique, really nuanced, fresh character. I felt like a lot of them were just kind of filling the roles I would expect of high fantasy. So, well, I feel like that that was okay considering this is targeted for children, trying to go like a little bit simpler. Yeah, so it doesn't need to be super complex. I felt like there was enough going on in the plot for that to be, right. you know, for to be challenging for them without like throwing in like you know, <laughs> weird characterizations where it's like Matthias is an orphan and we never see him dealing with that or handling that, which maybe they would if we had a more like emotionally complex hero. But he's just like, that eh, is what it is. And I was raised here and I'm happy. I wish my sandals fit, but that's that's about it. Right. And that that's why I said at the top that like, I feel like if I had read this at the target age, I, w- I would have just adored it. Whereas reading it much older now, the things that I value in books to some degree has shifted a bit. And so I I see more of those things and go, ah, that's kind of a missed opportunity. That would have been interesting to explore. Like there's only one badger, not badger there. I I think in this story, there's only one badger, but there are several. But um, there's only one beaver, I think ever mentioned in like all of the Redwall stories. And it's the the beaver that doesn't really even have a name. And it's like, what's going on with beavers? What's up with them? Well, we um, don't have names. 
We didn't really <laughs> want him. We just got our big tafers. I'm going to chew some, uh, going to go chew some wood, go make myself a dam. You guys want a dam? No, we're good. Thanks, Beaver. Oh, you're welcome. I just made it up. Sorry. Yeah, so Why like. Why not? All the so, other. Like, ultimately, yeah, my, like, the, the, the story, the, the story is structured in a super classic way, in a way that is, I think, really good for getting kids into the epic quest style of storytelling and stuff. So I think all of that's good. And I think that, yeah, if we went into having really complicated characters, it would be another few hundred pages, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that would probably do it a disservice for that younger audience. As an adult reader, those are the things that I wish I was getting more of in this experience. So that's just my experience, not necessarily a, like the book's awful because it didn't go into <laughs> like M- Matthias's childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the way that he was making eyes at that girl, though, I was just like, aren't you supposed to be a monk, little buddy? Is that what you are you sure that's what you want to do? There was a there was a line in here that said it was really early on. It said something like, "I saw you playing hide the bull rush with a girl or something," and I was like, "Excuse me." Oh yeah, like <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> baking baking powder. <laughs> but when the two were interacting with each other, I wrote in my notes, "Is this a kissing book?" <laughs> it's it's not. They don't kiss. Okay. Uh, yeah, we should probably move along. Uh, Matthias, shaken by the removal of Martin's tapestry, sets off to St. Ninian's to retrieve it. On the way, he meets a charismatic hare named Basil Stagg, who helps distract the rats guarding the church while Matthias sneaks inside. The tapestry isn't there, as Clooney is using it as a war banner, uh, and has already begun marching some troops to Redwall. But Matthias does find the Vole family trapped there. Basil offers to keep the Voles safe while Matthias returns to Redwall, but Matthias soon finds himself lost and exhausted. Back at the Abbey, Clooney's forces have climbed a nearby tree and plan to cross over the wall from it using a plank. Some of the Abbey residents begin fighting back with makeshift catapults and the like. Inside the Abbey, Methuselah the gatekeeper ponders over Martin the warrior. Legend has it that Martin's powerful sword is hidden somewhere, but nobody has ever been able to find it. Imagine Methuselah's pleasure, then, when he discovers words carved into the stone behind where the tapestry once hung. And that's the end of part one. Yeah. I really didn't like Basil when he, I I kind of went back and forth. I was just like, wow, he's really annoying. Because um, in my head, I was reading this book and I was seeing it as a 1970s Disney animation, like uh, kind of similar. I know it wasn't Disney, but uh, the same uh, illustrator did work for Disney, Don Bluth. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the Mrs. Frisbee or it would be Mrs. Grisby, I think, for the film because they didn't want to get sued by the Frisbee toy people. Oh, yeah. Um, I was picturing that and, like, the rescuers. Yeah. And, and the way the sword and the stone kind of looked. Like, there's a part where they get turned into squirrels. Um, so I'm just picturing that. So then when uh, Basil shows up, I'm just like, oh, my God, he is just so – this is just perfect for animation because he's going to be bouncing all over the place like, what, what? Hello, hello. Oh. You chaps over there, do you see what's going on over here? <laughs> you call yourself a leader, you know? <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. turning cartwheels and crap while all the rats are like, go away. So you, you know? did or did not enjoy him? I don't know. <laughs> I was so flustered. I didn't know what to think. <laughs> I feel like he'd be very a lot to be around. I'd just be like, you need to, like, oh, my God, can you... Can you not be so I extra? Need... 
yes, extra is exactly what he is, and just so over-the-top English. I was like, oh, my God, everyone else has been English. This guy's straight out full-on British. Oh, yeah. Capital bung-ho, like a duck-to-water young feller. Flop me is if you aren't the best people I've ever had. Yeah. What? Yeah, and I kept hearing his voice as um, John Cleese. I was like, John Cleese could totally have de- I think he'd sound a little too old now, but, like, John Cleese in his prime easily could have played this character. And I'd still be like, ugh, I don't know if I like or don't. <laughs> it's a very narrow line. Uh, I like him. I think he's pretty entertaining, especially later on when he fakes his uh, war wound. Oh, that turd. <laughs> Okay, my favorite character in the whole thing was, um... Silent Sam? He's my ac- actual favorite. <laughs> I knew you'd like him. No, my my favorite character in the whole book is Constance. She's she, pretty great. That's, that's a boss. That's a boss. When they say, oh, girl boss, I'm like, no, she for real. Everyone's afraid of her. And I was just like, how cool that he's giving that to, like, a woman character. Like, a female character. I mean... The big old badger, like... yeah. I, I will say that, uh, ignoring the fact that they're all animals, if you're just talking, like, gender representation, um, the women do get to do a, a good bit in this story. Yeah. I always notice that kind of thing. Like, I, I understand, like, it, you would notice it because it's not your personal experience. But I was just like, this would be great because if I had read this when I was a kid, like, if this had been, like, the cultural big deal thing for, like, girls as well, you'd have, like, a couple girls to choose from that would be fun to play. Yeah. And I, like, I'm going to play Constance. Like, you always get to play Constance. I'm like, uh, yeah, but I, like, well, I want to throw rats around. And what's extra cool, and we'll we'll get to the character in a little bit, is uh, the character of Jess Squirrel is a mother and still gets to do things. You know? Like, that's yes. even less common. Yeah, and, like, the husband isn't even all, like, embarrassed about it. Like, he's just like, that's my Jess. She's a really good climber. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at him. And he's holding the baby. And they're both okay with, like, the baby just like, I'm not talking yet. Yeah, I can understand you, and I can communicate like like with hand gestures and stuff. But I'm not gonna talk. I'm just gonna suck my paw. And they're all like, "That's fine. That's good." And you know, they're not expressing worry. It's like, "Oh, but he's still not talking. Yeah, he's not hitting all his milestones." Yeah. Um. Anything else before we get into part two and actually properly introduce some of the characters we were just now talking about? Uh, before book one ends. Okay, so um, I said that uh, Rag Ear kind of wandered away. Yeah, and he kind of shows up for a bit later. He's like, "Hey guys," but then he gets like tied up in the forest, and he's just like, "Oh man!" And he cuts himself loose. He's like, "Okay, I got to figure out where I am." And then that's when the snake shows up and he eats him. So he had a really bad like <laughs> night and day. <laughs> so the friggin' snake shows up, and it all it mostly it's like a Pokemon. It mostly just says its name over and over. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just it, like Asmodeus. Yes. And then just eats them. That is the first of at least two Pokemon references we're going to make, because I do have one that I'm going to talk about later. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. I think that was kind of it for book one. We have a good... There's a lot of characters here, but at no time was I ever like, wait, who is this? So uh, for this being simple and, uh, you know, not terribly intricate characterizations... You're still able to tell everyone apart. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, in in some ways, that simplicity is working in its favor because by saying yeah. like different species have these features and then different characters fill these archetypes, you can really easily associate the characters with their roles. 
Um, so that that can get you used to having a big sprawling cast. So then when you read something that has like 1,200 named characters or whatever the Wheel of Time has, you're like, I got practice with this. Well, I, I also just wanted to point that out, that like when we say things are simple or whatever, it doesn't always mean bad writing. I've read stuff with like fewer characters and I still wasn't able to tell them apart because they all talk the exact same way and have like the same like sense of humor. It, uh, especially if there's like more modern day, there's like this uh, Joss Whedonification of language where like everybody has to make these kind of pop cultural references and speak in this slightly snotty way for like no reason. Um, we saw that a lot in that book that we read that would not be airing on this podcast ever. <laughs> had that kind of language where we're just like everybody has just talks the same way and i just want to hit all of them like just like stop it quit talking like that so it's nice in this that like it's the simple you know who everybody is no one's making some self-referential smirk to the camera remark and it's just it's just nice it's just sometimes nice to read something that's earnest and is what it is yeah okay uh book two the quest Matthias wakes up in the woods and meets Silent Sam, a young squirrel with a penchant for sucking his paw instead of speaking. Sam helps guide Matthias back to the abbey, which is safe for now. Clooney was crossing the plank into the abbey, but Constance the Badger kicked it out from under him, and he crashed to the ground, severely injured, which forced a retreat. Methuselah summons Matthias, and they go over an old poem regarding the location of Martin the Warrior's hidden sword. They realize one of the lines, uh, and that is is an anagram for Matthias, and de determine that Matthias must be destined to find the sword. The rest of the poem leads them to a secret staircase hidden in the abbey. That was one of the things I remembered, because I do I had, I knew that in high school I read a portion of this book, but I wasn't sure where I stopped, just because I was juggling other things at the time. And I, I remembered that I had read far enough that there was a whole anagram thing with Matthias's name. So I remembered that. So it's somewhere between there and I think visiting the sparrows that I stopped reading. Okay. Back at his camp, Clooney summons the local foxes, old Sela uh, and her son Chickenhound, to heal him. The foxes are known double-crossers and decide to broker a deal with Redwall in exchange for information on Clooney's war efforts. Clooney anticipates this and develops fake plans that he knows the foxes will find. Under Redwall, Matthias and Methuselah discover Martin's crypt and find his shield and sword belt, but no sword. Some more puzzling brings them to the conclusion that placing the shield in a particular spot on the wall at midnight uh, will cause the moon to reflect in a way that directs them to the sword. They do just that and discover that the sword has been hidden in the arrow on the gatehouse's weather vane. They recruit Sam's mother, Jess, to retrieve it, but when she gets up there, she only finds the bracket where the sword once was. While on the roof, she is attacked by sparrows, and the rodents manage to capture one, named Warbeak. Yeah, as soon as I saw, like, oh, we have a riddle, I was like, I hate riddles. <laughs> <laughs> but the the riddle solving doesn't last very long. They, like, introduce the riddle the same chapter they solve it, pretty much. So it's not That's just, like, a release. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I find them irritating. as just, like, if you have information you want someone to know, just tell it to them. Don't give them homework. That's so annoying. <laughs> like, no one else could, like, I guess... Other people could have looked at it and figured it out. I don't know. But yeah, this is where we get to see more of the um, moles because they needed to get like under a step in order to get to um, Martin's crypt. So we got like a sampling of what their 
speech is like, and it's just unreadable. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know what they're saying. I know that they're all like, oh, you can't understand a word Sparrow say. I'm like, I can understand this way better than what the moles are saying. <laughs> Our fourth and upwards, same downwards, your wall arc, Dobby. Ain't that same as your grandmom do find when she am rooting about olden time fortifications? I read that directly from the text. <laughs> yeah, I know, because I could feel my teeth grinding. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't care for that. I don't know, maybe I just don't like when things are written out in an accent. I'm just like, oh, stop doing that. I hate that. And um, in my notes, I wasn't consulting the book as much when I was writing it down, and I couldn't remember... Uh, Sila's son's name. So I wrote chicken shit, so it's chicken shit through all my notes. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. You got most of it. You, like, nailed his character perfectly with that. You, okay, this is another thing of, like, proportions where I got confused where I was like, how big is a fox? Yeah, foxes are massive compared to mice. To, uh, and rats. So I was like, how's this, how are these rats bullying foxes? When, I don't know about them being massive, they're not like the size of a dog, but I think at least the size of a large cat. Yeah, but I mean, compared to a, a mouse, like, even if a mouse is staying on its hind legs, that's like, they're probably like three or four mice tall. Well, how, how big's a fox? Oh, three or four mice tall. What? <laughs> I mean, we don't have any form of measurement in the book, so what do you want me to do? I don't know, but I, I just like that description of things. <laughs> You're like, how tall is your new boyfriend? He's like 18 mice tall. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jess, uh, Jess, Silent Sam's mom, she's another awesome character. I really like her. And the birds attack, and I was like, they're like, yeah, just that's just the way the sparrows are. And I was just like, I didn't know birds were dicks. Like, I'd never seen that characterization before. So I was just like, oh, that's different. Okay. Because ah. I'm like, okay, the foxes are sly and they'll yeah. backstab you. Okay, sure. We've seen that before. And like, rats are evil. I know. I grew up seeing the nutcracker. I know. Rats are bad. But birds, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't know this. Did you do any research on it? Like, in, uh, like, does it turn out like sparrows are actually like super aggro or something? I did not, but I did want to bring up uh, an example of bird characterization that w it was published after this but um okay. the guardians of gahul which is another talking animal fantasy story a lot of the owls have disdain for uh birds that they refer to as they they call certain birds wet poopers any of the ones that don't like make pellets yeah and, uh, all of those species are usually described as being really obnoxious and not terribly intelligent so I don't know if that That's was a so that was funny. a direct response to the sparrows from this, or if there is some sort of like other thing that we just don't aren't aware of for bird characterization. But yeah, That's so funny to me because um, want to know a really disappointing fact? Owls are actually among the dumbest of birds. Oh no, they are not wise at all. They are dumb as shit. I was just like, no, but. But they're wise. I'm like, yeah, but what's that based on, really? <laughs> like, yeah. nothing. But Mean there's meanwhile, better. crows are like, <laughs> oh yeah, they're like, they can get your bank card, figure out your uh, pen, and then take all your money out, and then like, buy a knife. Like they're they're so happy about it. <laughs> My wife left me for a crow. He was loaded. 
It's, so it's funny that even in this, like the owls, like I don't know, if, I don't know if the owls all that smart in this. I wouldn't characterize them that way. Never mind. Okay, but yeah, the sparrows in this are like really just mindlessly aggressive, or seemingly that way. We get some explanation for why they are a little bit, but it was just very strange because I don't know. You just kind of think of them as nice. I don't know why. They, they just like they just kind of like hop around on those two little feets and like mm-hmm. dig around the dirt and stuff and get startled by us blundering by like and like fly away. And just... Maybe maybe they're like a garden pest. Maybe they are always like pecking out like gardeners' seeds or something right away. And so they I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell a weird story. Mm-hmm. I worked with a I worked with a very odd young man like a few several not several but like a few years ago and I still worked at a grocery store, and he randomly turns to me and goes, "What's your favorite bird?" And I'm like thinking I don't even like birds, so I'm just like, "Um, blue jays are pretty." He goes, "Ah, oh, jays are dicks." <laughs> <laughs> so apparently they're like the bullies of like the bird world. So I think this would have made more sense if I was like, "Oh, they're not jays." I just had someone explode at me saying that jays are dicks. So I didn't know the sparrows were. I got my friend a uh, bird feeder for Christmas last year, uh, and I had to specifically get one where you can only access the feed from, like, the underside. Like, the bird would, like, attach its little feetsies to, like, a little cage and then peck at it from the underside. Because a lot of the larger bully birds can't access them that way. And I think, I think now that you mention, I think those might be included as like the bully birds. Jays? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've witnessed them kind of being bull. Seagulls suck. They're super mean. My mom witnessed once, um, we've got crows that live in our neighborhood and like live in like a tree near our house. Yeah. And she throws out bread for them. And they were out there like, oh boy, and they're eating it, the bread. And one and uh, one goes to sit on the roof and like eat a snack. And this seagull came out of nowhere, body checks him as hard as he can, knocks the bread out of his beak and takes it. And it's like there was lots of bread in the yard from the take. Why did he have to take that piece from that guy? And the and the crow's just like, jeez, and kind of goes to sit by his buddy. <laughs> they just kind of both sit there like, God, you can kind of feel them. Like, that guy, am I right? Like, there's a yard full of bread. What was that about? Yeah. So, again, confused by the choice of sparrow, but I'll have to look into it. Like, now I'm curious. Like, are sparrows jerks? Like, I want to know. Google actually autofills for that. Like, if you type R sparrows, like, that's going to be, like, the the third result. Sparrows jerks? Yeah. It'll be, like, R sparrows native to California. R sparrows good for keeping bugs away and then our sparrows sparrows jerks <laughs> and then you click on the page they're like oh yeah total jerks if you invite them to dinner they'll get an appetizer and then they'll get a dessert and then they'll be all like why don't we just split the bell evenly it's like you no pay for the things you ordered i'm not splitting the bill evenly you got like refills on your drinks all right are we good yeah i made i made my drink joke That evening, Sela goes to meet with Father Abbot, but instead encounters Constance the Badger, who has decided not to bother the Abbot with the fox's nonsense. She knocks around Sela and the two rats who followed her. Redtooth the rat is killed, and Fangburn and Sela are forced to return to Clooney and lie about what happened. Meanwhile, deep in the woods, Asmodeus the snake finds and claims Redtooth's corpse. The mice speak to Warbeak, who lets slip the Sparrow King is in possession of Martin's sword. 
Matthias decides to take Warbeak back to her home and retrieve the sword while he's there. They climb up into the rafters of the abbey, where Matthias meets King Bull Spera, an arrogant ruler who originally plans to kill Matthias, but after Matthias makes up a song about the king, he agrees to keep him prisoner under Dunwing, Warbeak's mother's watch. Meanwhile, Clooney has the foxes killed, but Chicken Hound survives the attempted execution and slinks off to Redwall for healing, and also to scout it for treasure. Meanwhile, Basil and Jess enact a diversion that allows them to steal back the tapestry of Martin from Clooney. Okay. So the wind sparrows talker is really, really annoying. Oh my gosh, yes. I really hate it. And you know what it kind of reminds me of? But still not quite as charming. is reminding me of the mice in Cinderella. Gus, Gus, take a rooksy. Lucifer, <laughs> Lucifer, mean. This is very simplistic English, so it's so funny to me when the characters are like, I can't understand a word they're saying. I'm like, and you nodded along with what the mole said? <laughs> I think the sparrows, it's understandable, but just annoying to have to hear. Uh, around page 150, I made a note that says, have they actually explained why the sword matters? And I'm really glad that they addressed that by the end of the book. Because they keep, like, hinging all of their hopes on it, but there, there's never been a mention of it having any, like, actual, like, magic power or anything like that. And I'm just like, this sure seems like a real waste of energy for, like, a symbol. And then towards the end of the book, somebody's like, you know that the sword doesn't actually do anything, right? Like, it's just a sword. Like, it's still, it still needs an actual, like hero it was it's kind of the they didn't really have any other swords there so it's kind of the would be the most heavy duty weapon they'd have so i i i I think i think constance's catapult and ballista setup would beg to differ on on that being the heaviest uh but i do see your point well i mean there's only so many places you can take that but the sword is portable (laughs) you know And I think Sam's wasp nest will have something to say to you. <laughs> okay. Oh, how the snake is still eating anything. Like, that's a lot of stuff to eat in a short amount of time. And I thought I heard, like, predators like that can eat, like, a, a good amount like that and then, like, not eat for a while and just be like, I'm, I'm good. This will last me, like, yeah. a few days. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what the timeline is for this book. Me um, neither. They don't have distance, they don't have time. Yeah, because, like, when he comes back from the sparrows, it's like, he, he, he like, had gone native? Yeah, yeah, he knew. It's so dumb how he got caught, though. Oh, we're not at that yet, but uh, he just learned their language. It was just like, oh, okay, I'll just stop using, um, I don't know what parts of language are called, because I wasn't taught grammar in school. You probably were. No, I wasn't. Well, you did a real good job teaching yourself, then. Well, I read a lot, so I was like, okay, that's what that looks like. But if someone says, can you diagram a sentence, I'm like, you can diagram my butt. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention this, but when uh, Basil's first introduced, and he's like, yeah, I'll get you into their hideout, he compliments Matthias on wearing green because it's good camouflage for going through the grass. Yes. And I was just all like, He's Seth Sorensen. <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't put in my notes that, um, like, on their way up to the rafters, um, like, Matthias and Warbeak actually kind of hit it off and they become friends by the end of that. Uh, yeah, I didn't really get adventure. why. He threatened to kill her and then she's just like, you're really cool. Again, like, going going back to the idea of, like, the characters kind of just filling archetypes is that... Matthias just needs to fill the role of being like 
the hero. And so I don't, I feel like there are some of his uh, winnings that are not necessarily earned by anything he did so much as the role that he needs to fill for this story. And I, I don't know if you want to chalk it up to prophecy or not, um, but like he just makes friends with everybody. So I mean, he seems nice enough, but the sparrows are kind of a more prickly kind of. Not as prickly as Ambrose. That's the Ambrose, hedgehog. Ambrose, Spike, woo, the hedgehog, who really likes alcohol. He's always also like, hey, how about I sample some of that ale? And they're like, I think he's sampled enough. <laughs> or when he showed up all injured, and he's like, I could have some of that ale, though. And they're like, ah, he must not be too bad off. Um, So they get back, they they, they come back with the tapestry, and... Uh, uh, Justin Basil. Yeah, Justin Basil come back with the tapestry and, and Basil is uh, complaining about his war wound. And then it says, Silent Sam hopped upon the table. He showed Basil a tiny scratch on his unsucked paw. The kindly hair inspected it gravely. Egad, looks like another serious war wound. Better sit here by me, little warrior. Feed it well, that's the ticket. It's so cute. He's like, I'm yeah. like you, Uncle Basil. <laughs> I also have an ouchie. <laughs> I get the omnoms too, please. Omnoms for the ouchie. <laughs> now we sound like the birds. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like anyway. Let's see here. Matthias and Dunwing grow fond of each other, and after a while, Matthias becomes very well versed in their language. He notices King Bullspera has the sword scabbard behind his chair, but no sword. Dunwing helps Matthias spread a war rumor to get the king to leave his nest and head into the woods, allowing them to search more thoroughly for the sword. It's not there, but Matthias takes the scabbard anyways and heads out onto the roof. There, he is attacked by King Bullspera, and they tumble into the river together, presumed dead. Spoiler, Matthias isn't. Chickenhound loads up a bag of goodies and flees the abbey, killing Methuselah, killing Methuselah along the way. Methuselah-la-la-la-la. A funeral's held for Matthias and Methuselah, but Matthias is found alive on the riverside. Clooney, mostly recovered, moves forward with his new siege plan, which includes both a battering ram and a tunnel under the opposite wall. The plan is delayed a bit because Clooney forgets how the sun works and his army is temporarily blinded by it. That feels like a rookie mistake, doesn't it? Uh, that's the Pokemon reference I want to make. Uh, okay. So, like, when he when he is, like chastising his his horde and stuff he's absolutely ruthless he just like bashes them across the face with like his poison barb and leaves them to like rot in a ditch and all of these awful things but every single time he's he tries to get into the abbey he's thwarted in like three minutes by either a dumb rookie mistake or the abbey just having a much better more creative idea and he's just like curses i'll be back and just like scutters off like team rockets blasting off again sort of thing <laughs> um, like it's it's a very weird contrast where he's like he's a great villain while he's around his henchmen and then when he actually tries to do something villainous he's not very good at it at all and i'm just like why are they afraid of him is he like the the doctor horrible of this universe <laughs> um Con constance threw a car at my head <laughs> so okay we find out that um the king sparrow doesn't have the sword because he was out playing with it waving it around being all like oh look at me oh cool and the snake came along so they panic and drop it and the snake's like cool sword and starts taking it and then says to dunwing's husband like 
go get my sword back. And that's when he's fatally bitten by the thing, by the uh, snake. And then he goes and dies at home. So that was sad. I was just like, God, that would, it, that is what that, that King would do. It's <laughs> like, get my sword back. It's like, no, it's your sword. You go get it. I'm not going to hang around with a gross snake. Do you really want it after he touched it? <laughs> also, I was really disappointed. I thought I knew where it was going to go, and I was so excited, and then I was so disappointed that it didn't play out. So uh, up on the roof when Matthias is trying to make his escape, and like the king sees him escaping and like dive bombs him, and then they fall off the roof. And then around that same time, chicken shit stealing all the stuff and is heading out the door. I thought they were going to land on him and kill him. <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, that's gonna be so cool, and then it didn't happen. And I was so disappointed. In, instead but, of instead of Gandalf and the Balrog like falling into the lake, it's just Matthias and King Sparrow falling on a stupid fox and killing him. Because that's a far enough height that I think they would have killed him. He just like bursts into like red mist and fur. And maybe the bird dies, but like Matthias is up on us on top, and yeah. just is like, oh, and like he survives it. Like that's how I'd have written it. But is that is that too humorous? It just I feel like it would cut out some time. Not that this book was like, geez, this book has weird pacing issues. No, I thought it was like just fine, but I don't know. I was sad that that didn't happen. This section's almost over. There's just one little bit to touch on, which is oh. piecing together information he has obtained. Matthias determines that Martin's sword now lies with Asmodeus the Viper. To find Asmodeus, Basil suggests that Matthias visit Captain Snow, an owl. Uh, Matthias crosses through crosses through Shrew territory to reach a barn, and while climbing up to the rafters to find the owl, he falls into the mouth of a cat. And this is where we get introduced to the uh, gorilla union of shrews in Mossflower. Uh, Guosim. Guosim. Spew. I didn't like these characters either. And, like, Matthias, like, I was just like, okay, he's an okay character, but, like, him blowing up at them, I was like, he's my hero. <laughs> well, they're such idiots. There's, like, everything, they're very, like, bureaucratic and, like, fight with each other. Um, I wrote that they reminded me, they're, like, Lord of the Flies, but instead of the conch, they have that pebble. Like, you have to be holding the pebble in order to talk. Book three, The Warrior. Clooney's siege on the Abbey continues on multiple fronts, but the denizens of the Abbey come up with creative solutions to just about every threat, including a literal barrel of bees. Clooney leaves camp to attend to part of his grand plan, leaving the rat Cheese Thief in charge. Cheese Thief uses this opportunity to dress up as Clooney and boss the others around, which means when Constance fires a ballista shot at who she thinks is the head of the rats, it's Cheese Thief who gets impaled. At the barn, Matthias meets Squire Julian Gingivere, a vegetarian cat who was once close friends with Captain Snow but no longer speaks to him due to a dispute, I think it was over, like, table manners or something. Yeah. Uh, he agrees to take Matthias to the captain's area of the woods but won't speak with him. Matthias meets with the captain, who directs Matthias to the old quarry where Asmodeus lives. Uh, he believes Matthias will fail, going so far as to agree to never hunt shrews again and to apologize to Julian if Matthias returns. So cats can't be vegetarians. Don't try and make cats vegetarians. They literally can't do it. They will die. But he did say he ate fish, so he's more like a pescatarian. He is a pescatarian, yes. That's what's helping him survive. (laughs) He's not going to live on grass. That cats just can't, aren't built that way. They can't do it. 
that's for all you idiot vegans out there who are forcing your cats to eat like that when they're not designed that way. They're obligate carnivores. So anyway, that kind of annoyed me. I'm like, oh, God, did they grow up reading Redwall? So that's why they think they can give the cat <laughs> vegetables and he's fine. That's the biggest also, crime of this book is teaching people that vegetarian cats are okay. It's just so funny to me that, like, he falls into the cat's mouth. Like, he, the cat doesn't swoop in to get him. He literally falls into this cat's open mouth, and the cat immediately spits him out. It's like, oh, gross. Why did you do that? It's like, I think he kept saying, like, you dirty, gross thing. <laughs> so I think the kitty was my favorite character. Yeah, I I had a feeling that would probably be the case. Like I like kitties, and plus I liked the characterization of like the cat just being like a chill person who, because it, let's contrast it with the cat in uh, Mrs. Frisbee. Cat didn't even talk. It just they just kept saying like the cat screamed and roared, and I'm like I I know it's just going, <laughs> which is what cats sound like. <laughs> it's a very nice kitty who lives in a barn and I was just like oh but there's no people to give you head scratches and tummy rubbins like that's so sad that's I wanted sad to go to life <laughs> come on I'm gonna go in there and give you upsies <laughs> he's just like oh, I'm Squire Julian Gingerbeer I do oh. not require upsies <laughs> if we give you upsies you can have snacky snack I would like snacky snack <laughs> Like my favorite joke I always tell about the warrior cats. They're like, Kitty! And it's like, I am not Kitty. I am Bramble Belt of the such and such clan. You want a snacky snack? I, I would like a snacky snack. That's like one one of the most like Mara level bits of humor, I think, is the like a very refined sort of voice like conceding to something with like a babyish name. I don't know why it strikes me as such a you thing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, I am very important, but I'm not above having snacky snack. <laughs> I am the king and I demand a Sammy. Then I will have nappy nap. <laughs> I did write nappy nap in one of my, in the notes somewhere, but I don't know where. <laughs> and this owl's a jerk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay. You didn't need to be this, like, nasty about, like, the mouse is like, I'm going to go get that sword from the snake. And he's like, yeah, sure, loser. And you're like, what is your deal? Plus, like, even though he's got, like, the, the basil gave him that medal, so it's like, okay, if the owl sees the medal, he won't try and eat you. He takes the medal and then tries to eat him. <laughs> like, mean. But um, I like sometimes how some of these animals behave animalistically like that and Matthias is like you know, completely taken aback by it it's just like well he's an owl oh oh and and when uh basil said when he first met the stupid owl character his tree had fallen down and he was pinned inside and basil saved him and that made me think of the poor owl and mrs frisbee who's like one day my tree will fall and likely i will be in it and die and we're both like is he okay so maybe, hopefully, if that happens to the owl in that book, there'll be a basil hair to, like, pull him up. There's something going on here. It's the same owl. It's all part of the Hello Fellow Kids cinematic universe. I don't think it is, though, because that owl was pretty nice and didn't try and eat Mrs. Frisbee, even though she was a mousy mouse. But this would have taken place 
after Oh, he's that. like a really old owl. Yeah, at, so that's that after point. he becomes refi- refined because he gives up on, on hunting in his area because of the agreement with Matthias. Right, that he's not going to eat any more mice or shrews. Mm-hmm. And he's going to apologize to the kitty. Yeah. And there's something else that he's supposed to do. Oh, give me back my medal, you thief. Uh, so some of the shrews accompany Matthias to the quarry, where they find a hidden series of tunnels that constitute Asmodeus's lair. The shrew Guosim goes missing and is soon found dead. The others find Asmodeus asleep in a room filled with trophies, including the sword of Martin the Warrior. Matthias <laughs> retrieves the sword, but the shrew Logalog panics after seeing Guosim's body and awakes the snake. Asmodeus chases down Matthias, who strikes back with the sword and beheads the menace. Matthias returns to Julian, who reminds Matthias that the sword is literally just a MacGuffin with no powers of its own. Nevertheless, Matthias has done what he set out to do and shows Captain Snow his success. The owl and the cat agree to resume their friendship, and Snow swears off uh, hunting the rodents for life. Meanwhile, the vermin army continues their assault, and Clooney takes captive a mouse named Plumpen, uh, who he uses to open the gates that evening and allow him access Clooney sneaks inside with a small band and holds the abbot at sword point. Um, so being trapped in there with a snake is horrible. Uh, no not bueno. One, not one of um, your not one of your favorite activities. No, uh-uh. It's so upsetting. I really don't like it. Um, uh, and and they don't just discover his little lair. She leans on a rock and it swings open. Yeah, and she just goes falling. Who and built that, by the way? probably nudge like a rock in place i guess the way it swung open made it sound like there was some sort of like mechanism and i'm just like snakes don't have limbs how are they able to like construct something like that a snake can kind of get up like it has bones it's not a noodle it can actually like kind of get up a little bit and probably grasp things with the tail to like put it in play oh god it's grossing me out just thinking about it (laughs) but that's you don't have to think about snake mechanics if you don't want to that's okay so it it that's that's how it could probably do it. Oh god, oh, I hate them. They're so vile. Or may, maybe maybe he like maybe he told some like mice that if they build like a secret entrance for him, he'll spare them. But then he didn't anyways. He's probably a liar. Well, he does. He's like he, I'm not calling him a truther. I do like that. Uh, they get keep using it for everything. Where they go, hey Drake, yes Josh, where's the body of Christ? <laughs> <laughs> like they always have it at like Easter with like the empty cave. <laughs> I missed the boat on watching their show and growing up with it. I was slightly too old, so uh, I don't have the affection for it like it, other people. It's so. one of the only like live action children sitcoms that actually bothered to like construct solid jokes instead of just being like, let's just do something really wacky and then put a laugh track under it. Oh, you so. mean like every Disney sitcom? Yeah, all of the Disney ones are pretty <laughs> uniformly bad. Yeah, there was a time when um, my cousin was, uh, or I was, no, I was twenty five and she was she was five, and uh, we were like at a family member's house, and my mom's like, well, why don't we put something on that she can watch? And I was like, oh, Disney's solid, so she puts on the Disney Channel, and it's Zach and Cody, A Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, and um, it's painfully unfunny and like i look over at my mom sitting on the couch with my cousin and my mom gives me this disgusted look of like what is this garbage but then i look at my cousin and she has this big smile on her face because she likes the show (laughs) 
And I'm laughing because I'm laughing at how bad it is. So it's it was a very funny intergenerational moment of like tiny, tiny likes, slightly older, thinks so stupid is funny. Old, old is like this is bullshit. <laughs> I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm there now. Like I'm old, old going on. I'm too old for this bullcrap for like all the other dumb kids shows. I don't even know what kids watch anymore. Do you? Uh, Squid Game. Oh, come on. That's that's not marketed to kids, though. Isn't that basically like a Hunger Games-type situation? I, I, yeah, but uh, when I first saw people talking about it, I thought it was some weird, like, Squidward thing, so... I thought it was a kid thing, too. When I first, But then I'm like, wait a second. Oh, this is more intense. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't um, know what you That's okay. Kids read Redwall. That's a, that's a good segue. You should. <laughs> All right. Ready to... Kinda, let's take it home. Let's take it home. All right. Matthias gets word of the assault on the on the Abbey and needs to return home quickly, which means the arrival of the Sparrows, now led by Warbeak, is quite convenient. The Sparrows help carry Matthias and the Shrews back to Redwall to turn the tides of the battle. Matthias marches in and begins to do battle with Clooney, who believes this to be the warrior haunting his dreams. Their fight carries them to the Bell Tower, where Matthias severs the Bell's rope and sends it crashing in, onto Clooney, killing him. The battle ends with heavy casualties on both sides, but uh, thankfully it's not really anyone we know. Uh, the abbot, however, is succumbing to the poison of Clooney's tail barb and uses his last moments to put things in order. He appoints Brother Alf to be the new abbot, declares the Sparrows to be equal members of Redwall, appoints Matthias to be champion of Redwall, and basically weds Matthias and Cornflower before he kicks the bucket. One year later, Redwall is safe and prosperous again. Matthias and Cornflower have given birth to a son named Matimio, which just so happens to be the name of another Redwall book. Warbeak has taken up cooking, and the bell has been reforged into two smaller bells named Matthias and Methuselah. The end. Everything all wrapped up. I was grateful that when the this wasn't the kind of book, I was thinking if this got made into a film. It is getting made into a film. Wow, what took so long? There, there was actually, there was actually a cartoon television series of it for like. Okay, two I could picture this. I could picture this as two D animation. That's all I can picture this as. It just has that vibe. But, right. but I was thinking of like if, it, if some really cringy uh, update of this when the bell falls on Clooney and kills him, like Matthias saying like, "Ding dong, Clooney," you know, Clooney's dead or something like that. Like, some ding annoying- dong, the rat is dead. Yeah, some annoying quip. Like, I'm just so glad that it didn't happen. But I, would I did hope laugh. Not, that, would, that would really undermine Matthias's character. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a quip kind of hero. He was very, like, I'm just a straightforward... Yeah. He wasn't like, equipped for that. Oh. Boo. <laughs> boo? <laughs> no. <laughs> not even questioning the boo. It's full-on boo. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's that's Redwall, and we're probably the last people in our generation who haven't read it. Right. <laughs> sure, there's plenty of other people who haven't, but they're most likely people who don't read a lot. So we're the last of our generation who actually reads who read this. What would we give a final rating for it? Well, three and a half. Okay. Would you give it higher? No. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I would have been uh, uh, nice to given it four, but it, I got nightmares, so <laughs> it's not gonna, it's not gonna get four. <laughs> no, I think, I think three is, three is right about where I think it, it would go. 
Um, it's not a bitter. It's not a bitter three. I feel like some of the times we have given this a three, it's a bitter three, but this is like more like a good. This is a good three. It's a book about a warrior mouse. Like, what'd you expect yeah. from it? Like, it did what it set out to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, would right. not necessarily for the the podcast, but would you have an interest in reading other Redwall novels? No. Yeah. Not really. not really. I feel like I feel like I kind of get what Redwall's about now. I don't think yeah. I need to read like twenty more books of that. No, I mean it's nice. Um, if I had a kid in my life and like we were reading them together or something, fine. That that'd be okay. But I don't have a kid in my life to like sit there like, okay, tonight we're gonna move on to the next Redwall book, and you know. Yeah. That's kind of the only way I'd want to experience this, but. Yeah, it was solid. It was fine. Are you gonna read the email? Uh, yeah. If I if I noticed it like a day earlier, we would have been able to put it in the previous episode. But it's not like three months removed, like the last time. Oh, um, no. This person did remain anonymous, but they said, "I love your guys's podcast and just thought uh, you should read the list of things that will not change and Island of the Blue Dolphins." You guys always make me laugh, and I wish more people listened to your podcast. So, thank you, anonymous listener. Yeah, Uh, sure. I've seen the Island of the Blue Dolphins a lot before. I know it's still used in, like, classes and stuff. I've not heard of the list of things that will not change. Um, That'd be an interesting one. I haven't heard of that one. But I I read Island of the Blue Dolphins when I was uh, a younger younger Mara. Yeah. And I liked it. Yeah, so uh, Winter House by Ben Gooderson is the book that we are reading next month. It looks very like the sort of like YA stuff that I get excited about. Like, yeah, it just seems like it has like a fun little uh, wintry atmosphere and like a mysteries afoot sort of a thing. And yeah, on your own time, you should read Green Glass House. I know, I know, I I do need to read that. The blurb for this, where this person recommended it, was like on a list of like um, I was list- I just like typed into Google like uh winter books for middle grade readers and <laughs> this this list turned up that had winter house on it and the first thing it said was this book gives me green glass house vibes and i was just like okay say no more <laughs> i like those vibes <laughs> or as the kids say say less i mean i was really they, they had me at that first line i'm like perfect sweet so yeah we'll be popping into that in december um yeah Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you'd like to contact us and get your email read on the podcast. Uh, you can contact us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. And we will we will be talking to you guys next month with uh, Winterhouse. Bye. Bye.